turn in your Bible over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, please. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle, as is 2 Timothy, as is Titus. These were written to instruct. It kind of gives us the mechanics of local church. Now, they're not the only ones, but they're written to pastors and leadership to help us do a God-honoring job and uh, ministry. Today we're talking about something that I have entitled Biblical Authority, the paramount issue of all time. Now you'll understand why I would say such a strong statement as that or call it that. Biblical authority though is the paramount issue of all time. I want you to see it from scripture today in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes this, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons. Now you notice what happens. People depart from the faith and what they embrace instead are teachings that actually have demons behind them. Now if they're demonic, they're lies. And that kind of comes out in verse 2, speaking lies (laughs) in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, you see 1 Timothy 4. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 4. And we see in 2 Timothy 4, which is Paul's last letter, uh, 2 Timothy just happens to be my favorite book in all of Scripture. And it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time will come when they will not endure. And the word endure in Greek, it means to put up with. They won't put up with it. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Now, the teachers don't have itching ears. It's the people. The idea is tickling your ears. You're going to search for somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Fables are make-believe things. Now, if you turn away your ear from the truth, you don't have a choice but to turn to fables. Because you've rejected what's true, therefore you're going to embrace what's make-believe. And there's a lot of make-believe stuff, folks, out there today in Christendom. But this is indicative of the last days, and this is something that would happen. See, here's where we're at today. And by the way, this defines what apostasy is. The word apostasy means to fall away, to depart. In other words, you're in a place and then you leave that. You leave that place. God says that will be indicative of the last days, and and I don't think there's any question we're in the last days. See, the world is reeling today out of control, and it is because of their rejection of God's word. That's why we find ourselves where we do. It is like a man who is going insane, who cannot contain himself and doesn't know what to do about it. That's the world in which we're living. And sad to say, this is not just a problem with unbelievers. This infection is also becoming more and more rampant in the church, the body of Christ. And, of course, in local churches as well. I will not state the statistics to you on this, but I can tell you that a large and growing percentage of people who claim to be evangelical believers, listen, this is a fact, They do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
And they do not believe that the Bible is 100% true. And that number's growing. Now I'm talking about people who go to church, a quote unquote Bible believing church. They bring their Bibles. More and more of them are believing, well, no, Jesus, now it's too narrow to say he's the only way. <laughs> what? He said it. He said he's the only way. How can we deny such a thing? But it leads to all kinds of problems. Or the Bible, well, I don't know, you know, I believe the Bible, but yeah, I don't know about Genesis, the create, you know, the litter count, and yeah, Daniel and the lion's den. Yeah, I don't know about that. That sounds like a fable to me. And the Jonah and the whale, well, number one, it doesn't say whale. It says great fish, by the way. But nevertheless, yeah, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't be- Why don't you believe it? It's in God's word. I'm going to show you some scriptures you're going to have to come face to face with this morning. But see, folks, how can people who claim to believe the Bible not believe the Bible? It's because we are rejecting biblical authority. It's because we are driven by pride. That's what causes this to happen. By the way, pride is at the root of every sin that there is. So why do we find ourselves at this point as human beings, as a nation, as a world? It is because we've rejected biblical authority. Jeremiah 10, 23 says this, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct the steps. We can't do it. We think we can. That's our pride, and that's what gets us in trouble. But we cannot direct our steps. Well, you, you Christians, you know, I reject Christianity because you people use the Bible like a crutch. You use Jesus like a crutch. Have you ever been told that? Some of you have. I say, Pastor, I don't know what to say. It's easy. Say to them, what's your crutch? What's your crutch? Well, I don't have one. Uh, uh, sure you do. When things get difficult for you, what do you lean on? Is it a bottle? Is it drugs? Is it pornography? Is it your anger? Do you take it out on your wife and children? What's your crutch? God tells us we were never created to live independent from him. And he gives us his counsel and wisdom through a book. It's called the Bible. And when we reject biblical authority, we're rejecting what God has to say. And it leads to all kinds of problems. So let's look at four important issues today. The first one is this, the truth of God. The Bible is the authority because it comes from Almighty God himself. This book that I hold in my hands, this is God's book from cover to cover, Genesis through Revelation. It is the authority because it comes from Almighty God himself. It is a miracle book. I did a series years ago, the Bible, living proof that God exists. Have you ever thought about it that way? People say, prove to me that God exists. Okay, I'll show you the Bible. We will talk about what is in here and we will look at the scriptures. And if you are an honest person, you're going to have to come to the conclusion that there's no way man could have come up with this. History written in advance. The Bible's the only book that is, by the way, around 30% prophecy. It is a miracle book written over 1,500 years by 40 different writers of all different occupations and yet has one theme. 
we call the Bible the canon, okay? Which means the rule or ruler by which everything is measured. That's what the word canon means. Not C-A-N-N-O-N, but just C-A-N-O-N, canon. Here you're in 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, and by the way, I'm just going to read some scriptures here. If you can keep up with me, do it. If you can't, because of time, I'm not going to keep having everybody turn. If you want to turn, turn, but we'll have them on the screen, okay? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspired, God breathed. God gave us the word of God. It comes from him himself. He is the author of the Bible. He used men to write it, but he's the author. And by the way, that's why it's in harmony A book written over 1,500 years, a period of 1,500 years, one theme, no contradiction, it has to be from God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Through the Bible, we learn of salvation. We get salvation through the pages of scripture. And then we learn how to live as Christians through the pages of Scripture. And as we embrace the Word of God and believe the Word of God, what God does is He takes that and He molds us and He changes us and makes us into something far better than we ever could be otherwise. Not only that, for the one who's trusted Christ the Savior, we have heaven to look forward to. You know that beautiful song that Audrey sang this morning? None of it would be true if eternal security wasn't true because it's God leading her every day of her life. She's not a perfect person. You sin, don't you? (laughs) She's the only one I know who shakes her head yes to that with a smile on her face. (laughs) Like, what's behind that? If she was going to deny it, I'd talk to her parents about it. (laughs) Now, she's a sweet girl. John 17, 17, Jesus said this, Sanctify them through thy truth. Catch that. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. That's biblical authority. Psalm 138, verse 2. How does God look at his word? Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Lord, you have made your word great in our eyes. You've magnified it above your name. This is not some take it or leave it thing. This is the word of God. And it brings authority with it because it came from God himself. If this is his book, then the authority of God is based or linked to it. It comes out of him. Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word. Not just the thought, as a lot of your Bibles are today. They're dynamic equivalency, they call it. Well, we'll just, we'll capture the thought of what the Bible says there to make it easier for people to understand. You better cut it out. You have no right to do that. Every word. Matthew 5, 18, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one, or excuse me, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass 
from the law till all be fulfilled. Those are the smallest detail of the characters of the word of God, the letters. That's how serious God is about this. That's how important this book that we hold in our hands is. It brings divine God's own authority with it. And that's how we need to see it, folks. We need to revere it. Now, I know there are people who say, well, you people, Bible, 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 it's all you. You worship the Bible. No, we worship the God of the Bible, but this is his thoughts to us. And therefore, we revere it because it came directly from him. That's why. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. It's eternal. You know, we are going to be quoting and reading and studying and enjoying the word of God for all eternity, folks. On the road to Emmaus, I want you to see this one, okay? Uh, this one, I'll, even, I'll pause. You turn there, uh, Luke 24. Turn with me to Luke 24. This is after Jesus had come back from the dead. One of his post-resurrection times, appearances is the word I was looking for. Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, you know this story probably, all right, there were a couple disciples, they were walking, they were discouraged, they weren't sure what to, what to think. And he comes up alongside and they start having a conversation and they say, well, don't you know what's happened the last few days around here, around Jerusalem? And then he said unto them, oh fools, these are his disciples, oh fools, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, by the way, he's saying that to them, but this is in the Bible, so he's saying it to us. Friend, if you do not believe the word of God, God says you're a fool. That's what it's saying. You don't even have to buy a life application Bible to have the life application of that today. And it goes the same with me. And look what he says. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe how much? All that the prophets have spoken. By the way, that includes Jonah. That includes Daniel. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, that includes Genesis. Genesis through Deuteronomy. And even some Psalms, by the way. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus, many times, put full endorsement on the Old Testament, quoting over and over and over and over from the Old Testament. And by the way, you might say, well, well, wait, Moses and the prophets, what about the Psalms? David was a prophet of sorts. Read Psalm 22, right? No, no, no. All of it. This includes the entire Old Testament that he was talking about here. John chapter 12. Jesus said this, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, watch this, folks, hath one that judges him. That's the authority. The one who who judges is the one who's in authority. One that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last days. 
Do you want to know how God is going to grade, so to speak, when we stand before him? Now listen, believers stand at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a matter of heaven and hell. It takes place in heaven. It's a matter of reward. But the lost will stand at the great white throne judgment. And I believe, simply put, it's a matter of how much punishment they will receive in hell. But here's the point. What will be the standard by which they're going to be judged? What will be the right and wrong of everything by which judgment will be given? It is this book. It is this book. I hope you're seeing the importance of this, folks. And yet, why is the world the way it is? It is because of the rejection of biblical authority or the authority of the Bible. That's where we find ourselves today. So we see very clearly, we see the truth of God, and the truth of God is found in the pages of God's book, and that's the Word of God. That is the authority. But let's move on. There's the sinister plan of Satan. Satan's plan has always been for us, listen, to, number one, question what God says, and then, number two, reject what God says. First it is to question, then it is to reject. You know what? Listen, Satan is very smart. He's very smart. If he just came in with rejection of what God says, some people would get spooked by that. Oh no, I'm not going to reject the Bible. No, he says, oh, I get that. I know human nature. He's been at it a long time, right? 6,000 years or so. I know the way to get you. And by the way, this is no secret. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Now his goal is for us to reject, but he begins it with getting us to question it. First to get us to question what God says and then to reject what God says. Genesis 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle, crafty, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman... Yea, hath God said? Question. Questioning God. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So he begins with, has God said? Now verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, look at this, the absoluteness of a statement. Ye shall not surely die. Question, then rejection. And he's doing the same with us today. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And folks, can I tell you this? When we reject what the word of God says, we are rejecting God in that situation. And we are saying, I know better than you do. And that is us elevating ourselves above him. Well, I would never do that. But that is what we do. We all do it if we reject what God says. Satan's methods are still the same today as they were in Genesis 3. After all, why change something that has worked for 6,000 years? Yea, hath God said. Satan's plan is to first get us to doubt and then to reject. He wants us to reject biblical authority. An example of this in modern times, I'm just going to give you one example today, but it's an important one because it fits in exactly with what we're covering An example of this in modern times seems to be the never-ending quest to put together the exact text of Scripture. 
Now hear me on this, follow. The experts say that the true Bible, now this is what they say, I'm not making this stuff up. They say that the true Bible is out there somewhere. The text is out there somewhere. I have a question. When will you find it? Not only that, if you are looking for it, then aren't you saying that you don't have it? Did you hear what I said? Here's all your scholars. Well, the true text is out there somewhere. Okay, then you don't have it is what you're saying. Now, what is that going to produce in a person's life? Doubt. Doubt. So we don't have the Bible? What have we been using for the last 2,000 years? This reminds me, by the way, of 2 Timothy 3.7, where it says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is where this issue today of Bible translation is. At the website, faithfoundedonfact.com, I just looked this up last week. How many versions of the Bible are there? Quote, approximately 500, 500, 500 English versions of the complete Bible have been written over the last few hundred years. Of those, nearly 100 versions are currently in print, unquote. You know, it's amazing. Now, you know I use Bible study software, and a lot of you do. And, and I like to go online, and I like to look at websites where they, you know, places where they give, like, tutorials on some of the Bible software packages. Where I, It's one of the things. It's kind of like a hobby with me to, to see the different programs. And uh, some of them will bring up their screen, and, and you'll see it. And, folks, I'm not kidding. And I'm not sure why they do this. They have tabs, and you see how many different Bible translations they'll have. And some of these guys will have like 40 Bible translations on their screen. 40 Bible translations. Do you or don't you have the Word of God? All that does is produce doubt and confusion in the minds of people. Popular Bible, one of the most popular Bibles right now is the English Standard Version. If you have one here today, you don't have to hide it, okay? I'm okay that you have it. That's not the issue. The point, though, is this. Just like all the others, okay, the ESV, and yes, by the way, I am aware that the King James was revised several times, but it has not been revised since 1769. So I just want to put that out there before I say what I'm about to say. The ESV was released in 2001 with minor revisions being released in 2007, 2011, and 2016. How do you know what you have now is better than what you had back in 2001? How do you know? Can you put real full confidence in what you have? Oh, I know the textual critics have their comebacks on that. Folks, I'm just looking at it from a normal person's perspective. You and me, normal people. If it's always changing, how do you know what you have is the truth? We actually, years ago, we actually used the New King James in our church for a few years. And it was interesting. I, I liked it. And, and out of all the quote-unquote modern translation, I think that's the best one, still even to this day. But that's not what we use in our church. We use the old King James, okay, 1769. But here's the point. The full New King James Bible came out in 1982. Since then, 
Even the new King James has been revised several times. So what are you going to memorize? And why does it keep changing as time goes on? Well, it's because they've come up with better this or they change this passage or they change that passage. Okay, so then what you're telling me is what you had is not right. So how and why can you have confidence in it? And by the way, it is no surprise that each new Bible promises to be the best. If you have ever seen the marketing, and I have because I follow this stuff, it is no surprise that each new Bible promises to be the best, majoring on readability and accuracy. This is the easiest one to read, and yet it's the most accurate. You hear over and over and over. And yet in 10 years, you'll hear that about maybe four different Bibles. I don't mean this in a sarcastic way, but friend, can't you get it right? Why can we not get it right? And yet we have what we use in our church. We used to have the King James Bible. It is basically unchanged for the last 400 years. I want you to think about that. There was a day when it, this text debate, the different Bibles and all that, it really wasn't even an argument. As a matter of fact, Bibles were printed and they were only King, they were King James Bibles and they didn't even say KJV on the spine because when you picked up a Bible, that's what it was. You can use what you want. It's not an issue of salvation in most cases, but still, I'm just concerned. I am concerned. And backing it up, why am I even covering this? Because if you can't trust this as the word of God, it's going to diminish the importance of biblical authority in your life. That's why I'm covering it. So again, no surprise that each new Bible promises to be the best, majoring on readability and accuracy. Whether it is the intention or not, all this does is put doubt on whether what you have in your hands is the Word of God. And by the way, folks, they don't all say the same. So let's get that out of our minds. By the way, even the King James and the New King James, especially in the Old Testament, you can find areas in the Old Testament that the thought that's in the New King James is entirely different than what you have in your King James. Entirely. Now, why would you build your life on it, take stands on issues, and make important decisions if you are not sure that it is what God says on the issue? Hath God said? The thought that God... And by the way, all the new Bibles, here's what they do to launch an attack on the King James. They'll say, well, yeah, people use that for a long time, but now we have better text than we did then. Now we have better manuscripts. Now, listen, just stop and think. The thought that God was having the church use the wrong Bible until the mid-1800s is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. How could anybody believe that? I know people do. I respect your choice. Yet you can make that choice. But I'm saying, you better be careful about that. Why did not God put the true word of God in people's hands for all that time? If the word of God is that important, then why didn't God give the people the true word of God before the mid-1800s? And by the way, the mid-1800s, it is no coincidence that theological liberalism started expanding during that time, as well as Darwinian evolution and atheist, an emphasis and a growing of atheism around the world. See, if God is not the author, if God is not the authority, we can be our own gods. I don't need God. That's what they think. 
But folks, listen, many great churches, missionary endeavors, and lives were built using the King James Bible or the text that it is based on. By the way, it's not the King James translation itself. It's the text that it's based on, the text that's receptive. That's the issue. The text stream behind the King James is the issue. I'm not going to go to Zimbabwe and try to get the people in Zimbabwe to use the King James Bible. It's not their language. You know, what do you do? You take what the King James is based on, the received text, and you translate it into their language, and you do a very careful job. As they do a careful, quality job of translating that, they have the Word of God in their language then. That's how it works. The King James and the underlying text of the Textus Receptus, which is what it's based on, listen, it is in harmony with over 98% of the Greek manuscripts that are out there today. God promises, I believe, to preserve his word. Here's the point, though, folks. Again, backing up to the big picture. Here's the point. If no one can agree on what the Bible actually is or says, then why should we trust it and live our lives according to it? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe that. Why? Well, because I went to a Bible study, and there were 10 different translations being used at the Bible study. And they read it here, and they read it there, and and this one read it, and this one read it in theirs, and all that. And they were all saying different things. I'm confused. I get it. You're confused, and what you're saying is you're not sure which one is the Word of God. Somebody's saying, "Eh, has God said that, really? By the way, this is something... uh, I didn't plan on saying this, but it needs to be said. This is something preachers are doing today. Did you know that? You'll hear a preacher, I know Rick Warren's not pastoring his church anymore. He was famous. He was one of the biggest ones who started this. He would give a message and he would quote for like maybe five or six different translations in his message. What he would do is he would find the translation that said it the way he wanted it said. Who's the authority? Proverbs 30 verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Number three, let's move on. The inescapable effect of this on our lives. And I've already alluded to it a little bit, but let's look at it more. Because of the rejection of the word of God, folks, all kinds of problems have been created in our world, in our society, and in our lives. Confusion reigns. We are fighting battles on many fronts. The question is why? If God has spoken on it, that should settle it. But no, we don't want to hear what God has to say. Okay, let confusion reign then, because that's what we have on our hands today. We have created problems. Creation versus evolution. The vast majority of your science community, they're evolutionists. Let me give you a simple reason why they're evolutionists. Because they reject what God has said. They reject it. It can't be true because if it's true, we are accountable to somebody bigger than us. We're not our own gods then. So you come up with this stuff. And it has wreaked havoc in our country and in the world. Evolution Darwinian evolution, well, evolution, okay, the concept is most of us understand, and I know we can parse a lot of things and define little words. We don't have time for that this morning. 
evolution as we know it, okay, versus creation. That evolution is what I'm talking about, okay, that we evolved from some common ooze in the Nile River that got struck by lightning and, you know, who created the ooze? And I'm, I know, I know. I'm trying to fight not to go there on this, okay? <laughs> but, but here's the point. That is anti-God. It is anti-Christ. And if, you, if you're a Christian and you hold to evolution, you know, I was an evolutionist before I got saved. And when I got saved, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense anymore because the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. I believe God. Now, as time went on, I got educated and I realized, yeah, I believe God and that's the right position because God is God and I'm not. Creation versus evolution. How about this one today? Why are we struggling with such a thing as the distinction between males and females? How in the world? We have lost our minds on this stuff. Homosexuality. If you believe the Bible, you can't embrace that. I'm not saying people don't have tendencies towards their own gender. I'm not saying that's not there. I'm just saying, folks, God does not approve of it. But yet they're working so hard and they have embraced it. In many so-called even Bible, quote-unquote, Bible-believing seminaries and colleges, Christian colleges today. Why is it even an issue? Women preachers, it's becoming more and more of an issue today. I'm sorry, no, no. Women can teach women and children. Women are not supposed to be teaching men. Child training, how to raise your children. You mentioned a rod. Oh, child abuse, child abuse. God's the one who came up with it. He designed us, folks. He understands how the human psyche works, how our emotions work, how our minds work. And he designed it. And that is part, not all, but that is part. Spanking is part of God's plan. It's in the Bible. Well, I don't accept that. You're telling God that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Proper roles in the home. Husband, wife, it's amazing to me. You imagine what would happen to you if you're on a college campus and you say, you know what, I think the ideal is kind of like what they used to have on Ozzy and Harriet. You die before you got off campus. Husband and wife, discrimination towards others, racism. That's awful, okay? Well, there's, the, there's the, this race and that race. No, 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 no. If you get away from one, you've rejected the plan of God. There's the human race, period. Doesn't matter what your skin color is. John 3.16 puts an end to all of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever of that entire world, regardless of your color, believes in him as their savior shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's not tolerated in this church. It's not gonna be tolerated. God loves everyone the same. Yoga in the church. You can't do that. Go ahead and exercise. If you want an exercise, have it. Yoga is from Hinduism. You can't dress it up or Christianize it by putting a cross on it or a fish. Christian yoga class and you put the fish symbol. Oh, I guess it's okay. Yoga no longer is involved with Hindu demons. Now it's okay because we put a Christian fish on the side of it. Contemplative prayer and Christian mysticism. Submission to church leadership. Do you know that is a thing? The Bible teaches submission to church leadership. The denial of hell. 
In the last 15 years, that's become very popular in American churches. The way of salvation, that's always been a controversy, but God's word is clear. The foolishness of Calvinism. How could anybody be a Calvinist? Believe that God chooses some to heaven and some to hell, simply based on him choosing some to heaven and some to hell. And so the vast majority of people, more than 90%, I believe, of people then, according to that, God, before they were ever born, he determined every one of the, over 90% of the people who would be ever born into the world would go to hell. That was his plan for them. And he's only going to select a few to go to heaven. And Calvinism says we should rejoice that God selected any. That is a nasty picture of the God of the Bible. That is not the way he is. He says himself, whosoever will shall come. That means anybody. There are scriptures that we like and therefore have no problem submitting to. But there are others, whether they are just more challenging to us or convict us of our own rebellion, that we are tempted to and oftentimes rebel against. And that is dangerous ground. We're rejecting biblical authority. The question again is this, why? If God has spoken on it, that should settle it, folks. That should settle it. Which leads us to our last point today, the challenge for us. The challenge for us is to surrender to God and his word no matter what. Paul had a compliment to the Thessalonian believers. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually or effectively worketh also in you that believe. Notice that receiving the word of God as it is will allow it to effectively work in our lives and we will benefit from it. The psalmist had it right when he said in Psalm 119, verse 128, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right and I hate every false way. The false way would be anything that disagrees with what God says. Now let's close over in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And by the way, as you're turning to Romans 5, this thing about Bible translations, I understand, folks, listen, this is not going to be settled till we see Jesus. I have friends, ministry friends, who don't use a King James Bible, people I know. That's up to them. That's their choice. Sound doctrine is, is key. But I know this, I know everything I know about sound doctrine, there's no place in the King James Bible that I say, well, I've got to change this around to fit the truth. There are those areas in other Bibles where they actually teach something that's not right. Perhaps you're here today, and this is deep, what we cover today, but perhaps you're here and you're not sure where you're going when you die. Can I tell you this? There's nothing more important for you to know than what the Bible says about how to go to heaven. I want to explain it to you. Just a few minutes, please listen carefully. I'm going to show you an illustration that helps you see the problem and then the solution that God has provided because he loves us. We're going to pretend that my left hand represents you and me. We're going to let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong. God calls them sins. Here we are. We are all sinners, all of us, including me. God loves us, though, the Bible says. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You see, sin separates us from God, 
You cannot get into heaven with even one sin. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, not even one lie can get in. Now that being true, well, let me put it this way. That being true, that completely rules out the idea that the way you live your life, your good works will get you to heaven. Because the problem is not really how you live. The problem is you need a payment for your sin. God says, if we die with our sin, we're going to be lost forever in hell. No second chances. And hell is real. Yes, it is. And it's forever, according to the Bible. God doesn't want any of us to go to hell. But he says that our good works will not pay for sin because the wages of sin, according to Romans 6.23, is death, not good works. The Bible puts it this way, by the way, up here. You notice, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of your good works. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, if the best I can do, which is good works, will not take away my sin, that's the best I can do. And I die with it, I'll be lost forever in hell. God says, I, I love you so much. I hate your sin, but I love you. I want you to live with me forever in heaven. And so what he did, he left heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to earth, God the Son, this hand representing him. And when Jesus died on the cross, friend, listen, here's, this is what he's done for you and for me. He took all of our sin. When he died on the cross, he took it all upon himself. And he died in our place as a substitute. He died, he was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave. And he tells us this in his word. If we will believe in him, trust in him that he made that payment for our sin, he will give us as a free gift everlasting life. Romans 5.8 puts it this way, God commended or displayed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You notice it doesn't say, turn from all your sin, forsake all your sin, clean up your life, and then I'll save you. No, you can't, you can't do that. You can try, you'll fail. We need a complete payment for sin. Sin has to be completely gone for us to go to heaven. And the only way that can happen is by trusting in Jesus Christ, believing in him that he has paid for all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you do, he gives you everlasting life. He'll never lose you, he says. He'll never cast you out. For God so loved the world. I know I already quoted it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Two promises, should not perish, go to hell, but have everlasting life, go to heaven. Let me ask you this. If all your sin is gone, what is there to send you to hell? Nothing. If all your sin is gone, what is there to keep you out of heaven? Nothing. That's God's plan of salvation and his love for you and me. He offers you eternal life today as a free gift. I can say, based on the authority of the Word of God, this, 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can leave here today knowing for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Would you trust Christ today as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. 
Thank you so much, and God bless you.